Welcome to Capital Talk, our weekly legislative analysis program produced by Montana Public Radio and aired statewide. Capital Talk is hosted by Sally Mock and features Lee Newspaper's State Bureau Chief Holly Michaels and Rob Saldine of the University of Montana's Mansfield Center and Political Science Department. Here's Sally. Rob, Montana's two senators are predictably split on how they plan to vote on President Biden's nominee for Secretary of the Interior, Deborah Holland. Senator Tester will vote yes. Senator Dane says no because she's too, quote, radical. Holland would be the first Native American to hold a cabinet seat, and this is a very big deal to Native American tribes around the country and in Montana. Right, Sally. Yeah, and certainly not a surprise that Tester's supporting her, and not really a surprise that Danes is opposed either. Um, Holland's position on fossil fuels is probably the most substantive reason uh, for his opposition. Danes has positioned himself as a leading defender of the oil and gas industry and and has received over a million dollars in campaign contributions from it. Um, He's also talked about the loss of Uh, 60 temporary construction jobs associated with the shutdown of the Keystone Pipeline and things like this. But there's also been this attack on her personally, one that Danes has uh, perpetuated. Uh, One of the charges is that she's overly partisan and an ideologue, but uh, that seems to be a little overdrawn. As a member of the House, she actually has a strong record of bipartisanship, working with her Republican colleagues. Another concern we heard a lot from Danes is that she's, uh, uh, to take another one of his words, uh, divisive. And that allegation is just uh, a little harder to take very seriously, given that Danes, you know, literally found nothing uh, that was concerning or divisive about the previous administration. But you're right, Sally, this is a historic nomination. Holland will be the first Native American cabinet secretary. And uh, Danes's prominent opposition is probably going to be noted in those communities. And those are actually communities where he has enjoyed some support in the past, particularly with the Crow tribe and uh, given his work on uh, that water compact up in the Flathead uh, with the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes. But that is certainly not his base. And he also just won re-election, so he's got nearly six years before he has to face uh, the voters again. And by the time that rolls around, this will have uh, been long, long ago. Holly, there are several bills designed to limit a woman's access to legal abortion, and they appear on their way to the governor's desk. And it's expected that he will sign some, if not all of them. Yeah, there were four bills that passed an initial reading in the Senate on Thursday. And like you said, during his State of the State address in January, Gianforte did tell lawmakers he supported specifically two of those bills. One of them is a bill that would ban abortion after 20 weeks gestational age. The other is the so-called Montana Born Alive Infant Protection Act. That one's actually a referendum, so Gene Forte wouldn't sign that bill, but it would go to voters in 2020 and ask them to approve or deny this proposal that says infants born from a failed abortion would have to be given medical care. Important to point out there are already laws against infanticide, And abortions after 21 weeks gestational age are incredibly rare. There's one wrinkle with that bill. Um, Republican Senator Dave Howard this week introduced another bill that would do the same thing as the referendum, but it would be through a bill that would be effective upon its passage and signing by the governor, not as something voters would weigh in 2020 on. And Gianforte's policy director did speak in support of that bill when it had its initial hearing this week. The other two bills that are moving through, one would require women be informed of the opportunity to have an ultrasound before an abortion, 
And the last one would require informed consent, which would have doctors be required to inform women of the risks associated with an abortion that's induced by medication. Supporters of those measures say they would help women. Opponents are arguing that they would just put additional hurdles in the way of accessing an abortion and that women can already be trusted to make their own decisions without additional input. That referendum was amended in the Senate, so it's going to head back to the House, which is where it started to approve those changes. But the other three are going to most likely end up on Gianforte's desk. Well, also in the House, Holly, there is another attempt to limit some medical procedures for transgender youth after a first attempt at this failed. And this bill would penalize doctors who perform gender-affirming surgery on trans minors. Republican John Fuller is sponsoring the bill and had this to say. Children should be free from either parental, peer, or cultural pressure to deal with their gender confusion by starting down a one-way road to lifelong medical intervention. And this bill is opposed by many in the medical community, including Dr. Aaron Grantham, who said this. Trying to legislate medical care in an area as complicated as this can be a little bit dangerous. Well, dangerous or not, Holly, this bill has passed the House and is on its way to the Senate. It is, and it's interesting, like you said, it is a redo of legislation that the House had previously voted down The main difference is this iteration, it doesn't have provisions that were in the defeated bill that would have also blocked puberty blocking medications and hormone treatments. Fuller has said for both bills that his intent is to protect children. He was an educator for years and he's saying he doesn't think minors are able to make these types of decisions because they're not mature enough. So the state has an interest in stepping in. But like we heard from that doctor and many other opponents to this bill, One, these types of procedures just aren't performed in Montana. They're also not best medical practice for minors. And overall, gender-affirming surgery is not very common, even among adults. About a third of transgender people do end up having some sort of surgery. Opponents also raise concerns that because of the penalties for doctors that are in these bills, it would stop doctors from providing certain types of care in situations that the bill isn't even targeting. Other people, we've heard some pretty intense personal stories that people are sharing in opposition to these bills that included one person who talked about someone who attempted to die by suicide specifically because this bill was revived. So this we've gone through this once before. Now this bill is on the way to the Senate. We haven't heard from the governor on how he'll act if this bill clears the Senate and heads to his desk. So we'll be watching it as it moves through and see if it makes it all the way across the finish line. Meanwhile, Rob, the U.S. House this week passed the Equality Act, which prohibits discrimination based on gender identity. So one has to wonder how, if that becomes federal law, and it's a big if, how Montana's bill would hold up. Yeah, right, Sally. It would add that to the uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act. And so there's no doubt this is playing out in this larger national context, it it does look to me like the uh, Equality Act doesn't have much of a chance in the U.S. Senate, but notable nonetheless that it was passed in the House. One of the more interesting aspects to it is that I I do think it exposed something of a split within the Republican Party over uh, why they're opposed to it, right? We got a little insight into that. You have some who I think are, you you know, in the case of the Montana legislation, for instance, just uh, genuinely concerned that young people might be making decisions about this stuff that they haven't really thought through and that they'll come to regret later. And 
So it's therefore wise to at least have these individuals wait until they reach legal adulthood before making such consequential decisions. More generally, there are also some good faith concerns about implications for religious liberty. But then you also have increasingly this emboldened uh, wing of the Republican Party that's kind of epitomized in uh, this Congresswoman Green, who put up a sign outside her office door in, in Congress, kind of trying to get in the face of one of her colleagues across the hall who has a, a transgendered uh, child. And so you, you see these kinds of uh, cheap performative theater things showing up increasingly, and it's not something that has necessarily a clear policy end game, right? This Congresswoman Green isn't trying to engage on the level of public policy, but it's more just these performative gestures. Um, but that does tell you a little bit about where these people are uh, coming from. And, and so we do see this uh, tension that has been noted in a lot of areas, again, between sort of people who do have these policy concerns that you may or may agree or disagree with them on that. But then there are also these uh, just kind of people who are concerned about owning the libs. And so that is a, a little bit of a divide that surfaced within the GOP over this. Holly, a series of tax cut proposals the governor favors are moving through the Senate. And here's how Republican Senator Greg Hertz described the purpose of these bills. The objective there is to attract more businesses into Montana with higher wage jobs. But Democrats like Senator Edie McClafferty say the cuts will only help people who are wealthy, not the majority of Montanans. At a time when Montana families desperately need help, this bill does nothing for them. The Republicans are winning the argument, Holly. These bills are passing on party-line votes. Yeah, these three major parts of the governor's tax cut proposal, like you said, are sailing through with mostly Republican support. This first one would drop the state's top marginal income tax by 0.15%. And its legislation, Republicans are saying, will save taxpayers about $30 million and touch about half the taxpayers in the state. Gianforte's argument is that Montana's income tax rate is not competitive, and that's deterring people from locating here compared to other states in the region. But it is worth pointing out those states have much different tax structures, mainly that they often have sales taxes and we don't. Like we heard from McClafferty, Democrats say that a lot of these proposals, like that income tax reduction, won't really have a huge effect on lower and middle income people. We heard on the Senate floor that a person earning $34,000 a year would see a tax cut of about $12. The second piece of this package is a pretty complex trigger bill that would also institute more cuts to that top income tax bracket in situations where there's surplus state revenues, and then if there's a series of tests that are met that measure the state's financial well-being. Jim Fortes made clear that he wants to cut that income tax rate much more than he's proposing in the first bill, but that he recognizes that we're in a pretty tight budget situation this year because of the pandemic. So that triggers bill is a way to sort of get at that over time. The bill, it's kind of interesting, it expires in 2025, but any cuts made under it would remain permanent. Democrats, again, are arguing that that would benefit the wealthy and also saying it would put the state in a position where if there's an unexpectedly bad revenue year and we have cut income tax rates, we wouldn't really be able to pull out of that. The last bill is one that would exempt some businesses from paying capital gains taxes if they meet certain measures for starting an operation in the state want to sell after a certain amount of time. This is another thing Republicans are saying would be a lure for job creators. 
Democrats and people opposed to the bill are arguing that the data really doesn't show that such measures actually attract people to Montana. That's more our outdoor recreation opportunities and lifestyle. We do keep hearing with all of these measures, comparisons to states, specifically Kansas, which took much more drastic measures to cut taxes and saw some pretty huge negative outcomes from that. Republicans are countering that Montana's approach is much more measured, so we won't see that same fallout here. Democrats try to flip that argument by saying that because the changes here are more incremental, there won't be as much benefit to them. So I think it's fair to say these bills are moving through with the Republican majority likely expected to get to Gianforte's desk. Next Wednesday, March 3rd, is the deadline for non-money bills to be transmitted from one chamber to the other, and that's always a hectic rush, Holly. But boy, they've really been jamming a lot of bills through hearings and floor sessions this week and will be first half of next week as well. Yeah, to be honest, it's pretty exhausting this week up here. On Monday morning, we started at 7 a.m. with a House Judiciary Committee that heard 20 bills in one day. Started at 7 and went till almost 7 at night. And there's been aggressive schedules like that all week to get things through on transmittal. I think it's important to be talking about that there's a lot of bills, but there's also some really major policies that are moving through. Some of it's pretty heavy stuff that is fairly unlikely, even if it wasn't heard on such a tight timeline to clear just because of how the Republican majority and their appetite for some of this legislation. But some of it's some pretty weighty changes to how the state responds to pandemics that is happening on a pretty tight timeline up here. The session is careening toward its mid-session break, and we'll talk about that more next week. Colleen Rob, thanks. Thanks, Sally. Thanks, Sally. You've been listening to Capital Talk, our weekly legislative analysis program. Capital Talk features Rob Saldine of the University of Montana's Mansfield Center and Political Science Department, Lee Newspaper's State Bureau Chief Holly Michaels, and host Sally Mock. Join us next week for more analysis of the 2021 Montana Legislature.